Hello and welcome to this, the 19th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Ogue-McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And i got to give a big shout-out to the Irish Theatre Institute. They are a super gang of people who have given us massive assistance here at Rise Productions. Uh, most notably with all the support for the podcast over the last couple of months, but also at the moment with all the application deadlines and admin stuff coming up, at which we are not particularly adept here at Rise because we're rookies and we're learning, uh, they have been absolutely brilliant. So a massive thank you to them for all their ongoing support for everyone across the industry. They are a, a super crowd. Well, as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never, ever charge for these interviews, but as ever, with the ethos of supporting, promoting, and celebrating all that is great about Irish theatre, we are asking you to put your hand in your pocket and put your money back into Irish theatre generally. Best way to do that is just to go and buy some tickets and there is really great work on around Dublin and around the country at the moment so if you get a chance to at all, maybe this weekend or over the coming week, go out, buy yourself some tickets. You won't regret it. If theatre tickets seem to be a little bit out of your reach this week or things are a little bit tighter, maybe go and check out one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie where uh, there are always great campaigns from upcoming theatre shows there that you can support from as little as a fiver. There are always great rewards there and you will get a warm, fuzzy feeling inside for supporting Irish art. Um, okay, so there are, of course, ways you can support by putting your hand in your pocket. There are ways that you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Um, spread the word about the podcast. Tell people about it in person. Share the link on Facebook. Retweet the link if you get it. Go and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or you can stream it if you're out and about from fightnight.ie, the Fight Night website, uh, and also Radio Made carry it there as well. Go back and listen to all the other episodes we have and if possible, and this week we would really push this go on over to itunes and leave us a review or click to rate us on their five star rating system i know we bang on about this every week but just i don't want to get complacent about it and obviously we get great chart positions over there and it's lovely but i'd really like to drive that on so if you've been saying to yourself god i must do that one of these weeks please let this be the week that you go over to itunes and give us a little 30 word review or click to rate us that's a one click deal on the five star system we'd really appreciate that it would help us in getting our profile up and getting the word out about all these shows and all these theatre makers um, you can also follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland and you can follow us on Twitter we're at Rise Ireland so this week's guest is absolutely brilliant you know one of the real unsung heroes of Irish theatre it's the brilliant Tara Furlong from the Abbey Theatre stage manager extraordinaire uh, who I have had the honour of working with quite a few times and you know particularly around the tech end of stuff in theatre around tech time and stuff things can be difficult and challenging and you know us sensitive artists you know can be finding it tough Tara makes everything just a joy uh, she is wonderful to be around so good at her job uh, I love her to bits and I thought it was really important to get uh, her voice on this podcast apart from the fact that she's a big fan of the podcasts um, because I think you know it's it's important to get that view from backstage uh, a different perspective on Irish theatre where we are at the moment and uh, you know she's a big fan of theatre so it's, it's great to hear her views on it um, as usual I won't talk too much in the intro here and we're going to get straight into it this is the brilliant Tara Furlong Tara Furlong thank you so much for coming to have a chat to us this is all very exciting thank you very much I'm very excited and very honoured well, good. We're delighted to have you on board. It's very nice to be here uh, in the Abbey Theatre rehearsal room, a place of many, many magical moments for yeah. us all. Um, okay, you know the drill for this. Let's get back to how we start off every single episode. 
when did it occur to you for to go for a career in theater how did it happen what was the inspiration okay well uh i always wanted to be a vet always okay. always always always, hey. always until i got to about intercert and i was no good at maths i couldn't do higher maths so i figured i was going to have to do something else right okay and i was always sort of interested in art uh we my family were always interested in theatre. We were always going to museums and galleries and shows. Um, so I figured that maybe I could mix the two of them and maybe I could do set design. Okay. Yeah, but at the time there were no courses uh, available to me that, that, that I could see, that I could do. Um, so I thought I'd just go and do art college. And it was really, I, I actually, I kind of wasn't good enough, you know. So I applied for Sally Noggin and to, to do a PLC course to prepare my portfolio. Um, this is one of those year-long kind of portfolio things? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, to get me up to speed because it wasn't good enough for me to get into the NCID, basically. Sure. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, essentially. Um, but I got into Sally Noggin before I'd done my Leaving Cert, which meant that everything, all my prep for the Leaving Cert just went straight down. Right, toilet. okay. You know, I did, I did no study, I did nothing. I got into Sally Noggin, I did the course in Arts and Crafts for a year uh, and applied to Dunleary College of Art and Design and got in somehow to do ceramics and I have no idea how it was because I had some ability but I wasn't, you know, right. I wasn't amazing. Uh, but that, none of that went well for me at all uh, and I, I, I skipped quite a lot of college. Okay. I would not go in for like days and weeks on end. I had no discipline, I was desperate. And I dropped out three weeks before the end of the course. Yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. I couldn't finish it. And I remember when, when I left, when I went in to tell them, I'm, I'm leaving, I can't do this. It was like a weight off my shoulders. Right, okay. Um, and did you have advice from everyone around you going, Jesus, for the sake of three more weeks, just keep the head down? Or? No, my mother was great, actually. My mother said, um, just, if it's not working out, just leave now. Yeah. Just get out, because it's nothing good will come with this. I was going to fail, do you know right, what I mean? Okay. So leaving was definitely the best thing to do. Okay. So I left, and then I had nothing to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I didn't know how to proceed. And uh, I got, I worked in the Badass Cafe for about two weeks. I got fired from the Badass Cafe. <laughs> it was like the world's worst waitress. Um, and then I sort of did jobs here and there, but nothing, nothing amazing. And then I was in town with my mother one day, and she brought me up to Poetry Ireland, and we met Theo Dorgan, who was a friend of hers. Right, okay. And she asked him, do you know of anybody who has any jobs going? And he knew Tom Cockton in the Project Arts Centre, and he knew that they were running a false scheme, uh, and they were looking for people for the box office. So they said, yeah. Um, and I rang them, and uh, I did an interview, and they said things like, do you mind cleaning toilets? You're going to have to clean toilets. And I said, no, 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 that's, that's fine. I have no problem with that. And I got that job. Um, and I had the, I read the best crack in the project on the box office, and this was Fiek was there at the time. Right. Okay. And uh, Paul Kyogen was the technical manager, and there were I was there for about two years, and like there were amazing shows on there at the time. You know, Rough Magic did had Red, Red Roses and Petrol, right, okay. and stuff like that. And you would just see like people queuing around the old gallery in the project for tickets, and this was it was a whole new world to me. Um, and I got to know a lot of people, you know, a lot of stage managers and. Uh, see how how long it took to, to fit something up and that kind of thing and we just had great crack and coming up to the end of my two years they were producing a play that Jerry Stembridge wrote called The Gay Detective Right, okay. and Tom thought that I might be a good ASM 
and also they wouldn't have to pay me. <laughs> because, uh, As is often the case with theatre, these great breakthroughs come <laughs> on the basis of trying to save a few bob. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Wow. Um, so I ASM that, and I mean, it was it was just, it was incredibly lucky to have that to be your first show, because it sold out as well, and it was, I, I don't know if you saw it, I mean, it was it was highly controversial. We yeah. Had, like, Peter Hanley kissing my husband now. Um <laughs> Uh, and there was a guy from the Daily Star who came in and sort of snuck a pap shot and they printed and everything. Ah. Yeah. Um, but but the buzz from that was just incredible, you know, and everybody was really patient with me because I knew nothing, you know, I knew nothing about ASM. Um, and Paul Kyogen, who was the production manager and the lighting designer on that, was fantastic, you know, and he taught me buckets and buckets and buckets of stuff whether he intended to or not I don't know but he did and they were fantastically supportive and I operated sound for the run so I got to learn about that uh, so that ran for about I'd say about five weeks and off the back of that that was in 1996 and off the back of that I got one job after another and I've never really stopped working really yeah 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 I mean but I can't tell you how, how lucky I was you know to be to be there and and to meet those people, you know, I mean, uh, Deirdre Malloy was the AD on that show who suggested me for a show in DYT, where I met David Parnell, uh, and then worked with him that summer, and then The Gay Detective went on tour. So it was, it was one after the other. And Tom Coughlin had said to me at the time, because I think in 1996 there was not a lot of work around, and he said, you could be, you'd be careful if you decide that you really want to go into this, because you could have really long periods of unemployment and and I never did you know I did a lot of profit share shows mm-hmm. at the beginning um, but I was never really out of work for a very long time so that's that's how I started off and for you then on the Jerry Stembridge show yeah. was that was it instantly a moment for you went actually this is kind of really fun or this yeah. is yeah. Or that it seemed to make sense to you that it, yeah. it's it sat well with your personality yeah. or something. There was actually it was and it was the it was the day that we did the get in, and uh, so we were in project on the Sunday and uh, Barbara Bradshaw, who's a set designer, <coughs> excuse me, uh, had asked me to decorate a, a massive frame like an eight foot tall frame, and she gave me some rope and some fabric and some gold spray paint and a staple gun. And I sat in the project during the afternoon making this thing and then spraying it. And I remember coming home that night and I was still at home uh, with my mum and saying, I could do this forever. I love this. Wow. Yeah, it was it was such a buzz. It was I, I knew because we'd always gone to, to see lots of shows when I yeah. was a teenager. Uh, I, I was very comfortable around theatres anyway, you know. Um, but I just knew, I thought, this is brilliant. And the night that it, w- that it opened and I had op- I'd pushed the button yeah. and the music had happened and everybody did stuff when the music happened, it was, it was amazing. I was s- like just thrilled with myself, delighted. I didn't... Are there any shows from those teenage years before you kind of ended up in the business? Are there any of those shows that kind of stick out uh, as having an effect and going, wow, that was a magical yeah. moment or these are images that you really remember? Yeah. I remember uh, we saw the Pier Gaint cycle in the gate. Okay. Uh, and I actually saw it twice. And it was three plays over the course of a whole day. Uh, and I mean, I think had I known what I was looking at, I would have been more amazed. And I still don't know how they did it. Wow. But massive set changes, huge casts. Uh, and to turn that around, um, well, I saw lots of stuff that was really, you know, really inspirational to me. Wow. All, all the time we, we went we went to a lot of stuff in the abbey 
um, and the peacock and and the gate and the gaiety. You know, not so much a project. Right. Okay. I re- the project. The first time I went to the project was to see a DIT show at school, and I thought it was a bit weird because there were bucket chairs and stuff like that. Right. You know. <laughs> Um, and what was the vibe like around Project in those days? Like you say, when Fiat yeah. was still there and yeah. presumably it was the old building at that stage and whatever yeah, else. Was, I mean, yeah. uh, was, there, was there always that really exciting vibe about the yeah, place? Yeah, yeah, because it was a total hive of activity. Uh, you know, there were, because there was uh, gallery stuff coming in all the time. Um, sometimes uh, there'd be shows in the back gallery. There were different people around all the time. But there were also, I mean, for me, they were really inspirational shows like... Um, just after I started there, Barabbas did their first show, or they did their first, uh, they did three shows, I think, um, and that was a new company starting up, and they were so exciting, you mm-hmm. know, and they had a they had a puppet show called Half Eight Mass of a Tuesday morning that they opened at half eight on a Tuesday morning, <laughs> you know, uh, the Passion Machine did Budley and Parmos, you're running around everywhere in mm-hmm. like fireman jacket and stuff, being in the show and telling everybody, you know, what to do, where to go, and it was it was so exciting, all the time to see the artists and. All the particulars. Was there anything else? I remember uh, Pigs Back as well. You know, everybody loved Pigs Back, and and they were fantastic. Um, and lots of really strange performance art stuff. You know, we'd be buying treacle for people to pour over themselves. And like that. <laughs> it was it was terrific, though. I mean, it was real for me. That was actually like going to college. Yeah. You know, proper on the job training. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. And you know, and then and after that only getting work experience and, and never going to college and, and I often and I still wonder was I better off not training to do stage management or was I better off with the, on, the job experience yeah. you know and I think it's still a toss up for me right yeah. so talk to me then about because things were going well then yeah. from that time pretty much straight off talk to me about the journey from being out working different shows working the profit shares yeah. to making it to here to the National yeah. Theatre <laughs> the, the big institution how, how long yeah. did it take for you to, to arrive here um, so I guess that was that was in 1996 when I started um, uh, and then I went to the gate I did some profit share shows and some other and other shows that I was really lucky to get actually you know uh, probably didn't do that great at um, I went to the gate and I was in the gate from about 1998 on and off till about 2003 and I learned an awful lot in the gate you know it's they were on a very tight ship yes um and it was good for me to go in as an ASM and and see it from that side before I did any sort of stage director stuff okay in there um yeah I I learned I mean I can't actually tell you how much I learned and I worked with the wonderful Valkyo who I'm sure you know um, who taught me essentially how to call a show and worked with amazing actors. You know, we did a, we did Streetcar with Francis McDormand yeah. and Liam Cunningham, and had fantastic experience. Went to uh, London with the Becketts in two thousand two thousand three, I think. I don't know, um, but had just it was just fantastic, fantastic experiences and opportunities. You know, um, and then did a couple of shows in the Gate that I don't think I was quite ready for. You know, right? Yeah, I think I wasn't uh, because it is quite a tight ship. It's very, it's not like the Abbey. There are less, there are less people. So there, I guess you need to be more all over everything. And I was a little bit young and a little bit sort of reserved in myself. Okay. Uh, for the gate. So after the gate, I think I did. I worked with Fishamble and stuff like that, and the Coin Exchange, of course. I mean. Uh, who were fantastic and you know Annie Ryan was always brilliant to me and she was in like the third play that I ever did which 
just I mean I think it was it was an extraordinary time I think yeah for people coming up um, the the people that I met now who are still making plays and mm. and being fantastic uh, so I did a lot of shows with the Corn Exchange um, bits and pieces I guess I then came here in about two thousand and four I think. Um, so I, I basically I worked with I suppose smaller freelance companies. Sure. So, you know, Fishamble and uh, Bedrock. Guys it's kind that. of a who's who, though. I mean, it between is, the Abbey, yeah. the Gate, Fishamble, Corn Exchange, Bedrock, there's very yeah. few names that you've left out there. You yeah. know, it seems yeah. that you've you've covered all the bases. Yeah. Well, I have never worked with Rough Magic, and I've never worked with Druid. And you refused it to this day. <laughs> no way, no way. Yeah, it never worked out. I was, I was wow. not available. How different a beast is the gate to here? I mean, mm, you know, I think people would perceive that there's a bit of a different vibe. Yeah. Um, I guess it's quite different. Uh, there's, there's a different hierarchy in the gate. Okay. Um, and it is, there, you know, less, there are less people there. Right. So if you need if you need something done in here, there's probably a department that you're going to. If you need something done in the gate, you're probably asking one person, you know. Yeah. Um it's a tighter it's a very tight ship. Sure. I mean, how much is the ethos up there shaped by the wonderful Mr. Colgan? I mean, how is it is it his baby through and through? Yeah, I well I think so, very definitely. I mean his because you do you're very aware uh, even as an ASM, that uh, I guess that his hand is over the is over the whole thing. You sure. Know? So then, uh, talk to me about arriving here. Then okay. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, presumably you're here full time, having come from yeah. being freelance. I mean, yeah. what what was that shift like? Um, it was it was lovely to know actually that I that I had work for a whole year. It was it's. And it's still, I'm not quite permanent here yet, but it's its still always nice to know who you're going to be working with. Yeah. You know, maybe a year in advance. Um, so it was, I mean, I guess it was kind of odd, actually. Um, I didn't, when I started, I wasn't quite sure. I thought, you know, because the obvious is mysterious little planet. Yes. You know, uh, I thought, how am I going to fit in? You know, it's a big organization. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff would happen internally where, where if you're in a production company you'd be, you know, everybody's all over the place, it's, it's a lot more spread out this is, you know, yeah. compacted um, and I thought maybe they have some amazing way of doing things and I'm not going to be up to scratch, you know I won't, you know, I won't fit in but uh, it was it was a great transition, I mean the first show that I did here was Harry the Rookie, which, you know, with Aidan Kelly and Carl Teal wow. and Jimmy Faye directed and, and I had never seen it I had never read it and that for that to be my first show, it's such an amazing play, and they were—I'd never even met Aidan Kelly before, and so lovely to work with. Yeah. You know, all of them. Um, yeah, I've, I've really fond memories of that of that show. And Carl Shields calls me Skip Tara still after a character in that in that play. <laughs> um, and then I did the remount of the importance of being earnest with Colin Morrison, and again, yes. it was like because. These were people that I'd heard of, you know, really. Colin Morrison, wow, that's cool. And he was cool. It was, yeah. You know, it was it was amazing. And, and the support in here, you know, because also there's a lot more stage managers in here. So we, would, sure. we had four people working on that show where usually 
it, it might have been me and maybe two other people and you'd be operating yeah. and you'd be washing costumes and you'd be setting and you'd be repairing things and in here you know you you didn't really have to do that you had to concentrate on your own job so talk to me about the nature of this being such a big institution and you know mm. the history and the lineage and everything i mean presumably when you're part of a big machine like this yeah. there are parts of that that are absolutely brilliant yeah. but then are there parts of it then that are frustrating as well, being kind of caught up in such a big machine? Um, well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, suppose, I suppose there are, because, because it's such a big place, it's not, that, that was a shift as well, coming from freelance to in here. It's, it was, it's not just about, when you're working here, it's not just about the play, it's about the building as well. Yes. You know, um, and that's an absolute necessity, and that's as it should be. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it takes a while to get used to that and to get used to just you know the way the way the building runs the way that you need to deal with with people so right here's a here's a delicate one the divide perceived or otherwise yeah. between the techies yeah. on one side yeah. and then the wonderful creative artists and actors yeah. and writers and directors on the other side does that divide exist um i i'm not i don't know i don't know i you know i i go between thing that it does and thing that it doesn't but I have to say on the podcast the only person who's ever mentioned a stage manager is Paul Kogan right you know um, so I, I think sometimes it's sort of dependent on the circumstances you know on how the whole on how the, the show is going do you know what I mean how the well is there a bit of it that if you're doing your job perfectly Mm. that we kind well, of don't notice it to an extent it's yeah. only it's only that when things would fall through the cracks that it would become apparent like yeah. for you to be at your best everything's running seamlessly yeah. which is kind of as it should be i guess yeah yes yes that is as it should be um but there still shouldn't be a divide you know yeah if there is one but i i do think it is it depends on it depends on the production and how it's going you know i mean because a lot of what we do is not just about making sure that everything is there and it's about making sure that people are are comfortable as well i guess and that's not even doesn't even always extend to the show it's you know oh it's you know doctor's appointments yeah being understanding when somebody's forgotten their script or sure or whatever yeah it is you know it's about it's about making the rehearsal room a safe place i think and and the stage a safe place and making sure that, that people are treated properly so yeah, I can see how that, that might be invisible. You yeah, know. yeah, I guess. But, I mean, do you see a situation where in the bar after a show at night, is there, are, is there the techies at one end of the bar yeah. and, and actors at the other sometimes? Or, or does that, do, those, do those kind of distinctions break down, maybe particularly on tour yeah. or something like that? Yeah, well, they do. But, I mean, that's, that does sometimes happen. And that's, like, the government inspector... Some, a show like that with yeah. that kind of cast that would never happen right. you know everybody's everybody's in it together all of the time but there are definitely shows yeah and there are shows where you wouldn't want to do you know <laughs> what I mean you wouldn't want to drink with people right okay you know right okay so then okay well on that then you don't necessarily have to hang people for being dealers, <laughs> but is the, in the whole kind of divide of people being really lovely or people being dealers, is there anyone yeah. who stands out for being particularly lovely to work yeah. with, nice to be around? Yeah. If you want to hang anybody out to drive, please feel free. <laughs> um, so who, who? Well, present company excluded. Of okay. Course. I don't know uh, which divide, which side <laughs> I'm on there, but we won't ask. On go the on. good side. <laughs> on the good side. Um, 
uh, I, I love working with uh, Rory Nolan, I suppose, I have to say. Um, uh, but I do love working with Rory. And, uh, you know, people like Peter Daly and Cathy Belton and Erin Monaghan, you know. Yeah. Fantastic people to work with. And primarily they're fantastic because they understand... Um, they understand when things go wrong that it's not it's not necessarily a big deal right you know uh, and people and someone like Aaron Monaghan who will kind of look after himself yeah. in a way or if he needs a chair moved two inches he might do that himself you know and then say we need to mark this yeah um, so uh, but there are loads of lovely people sure and do you want to hang anybody to drive for being a total diva even if, uh, even if they need to remain <laughs> nameless no, I don't think so. Grand. I think it's probably wise now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, talk to me then about highlights from your career, either from here at the big national theatre or mm-hmm. from those smaller independent days. Are there, are there shows that you've been involved in that stand out particularly in your mind? Um, we did a, a production of Mud with the Corn Exchange. Yes. Uh, in, I guess that was 2003. And that stands out in my mind, actually, because... Because when I got the script, the script was about like it's about a half an inch thick, and it's and it looks like a tiny, tiny play, um, and it's about I don't know if you saw it. It's about uh, a girl who lives with her brother up the mountain, like in the middle of nowhere, and it's it was set in America, and uh, a stranger comes into their lives, and she they begin a relationship, stuff like that, um, and Annie set it in Ireland, and it was perfect, and the set was the project uh, with the seating on three sides and this black rubber crumb brown rubber crumb stuff uh, all over the floor and jack Kerwin did this amazing uh, sky for the whole for the whole length of the wall it was just beautiful and it was beautifully lit and the performances were amazing and so what had seemed like such a small thing right. you know that was really stage managementally wise was was not an incredibly challenging show but a, but a real pleasure to to work on that was that that would stick out in my mind, um, and Big Love would stick out as well. Actually, that which was a phenomenal <laughs> production. <laughs> it has to be said, some amazing, some amazing actors involved yeah. there. Because Big Love was hugely challenging, you know, and it was that it was the first time that I had done a company stage manager role for a show of that size, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, with motorized walls and flying pieces and mopeds that moved and an infinity pool with a lid, you know, and like blood everywhere and death and, you know, props that went on for days and days and days. Yeah. Um, and I felt immensely proud of that, yeah. actually, when, uh, when, when all was said and done, you know, it was, I, and I was terrifically proud of everybody who was involved, you know, all of the fantastic stage managers and beautiful set and the beautiful lights and all of you guys. I'm still very proud of that. Yeah, I have to say, I had an absolute ball on it. Will you tell us a bit about the distinction between ASM, up to stage manager, up to stage director, up to company stage manager? Because not everybody has a proper knowledge of those kind of distinctions. Who is which and who does what, basically? Well, outside of the Abbey, um, you would have an ASM, and the ASM would prop the show uh, get all the bits and pieces for the actors uh, and would be in touch with the designer quite a lot about uh, what they liked, what co- what colour cups they liked, all that sort of thing. They would also do quite a lot of running for the rehearsal room yeah. um, and getting things that the stage director can't get. Uh, the stage director is the person who, in rehearsals, um, notates all of the blocking for the actors uh, and then will 
call the lights and the sound during the run of the show. In the Abbey, that's different because we have uh, the stage director job is divided in two. Okay. And it is kind of confusing sometimes. <laughs> uh, so we, we would have... Uh, so on Alice in Wonderland at the moment, we have two ASMs who are running and doing props and being amazing generally. Uh, a, the DSM in the, who's in the rehearsal room who is the who is our link with the rehearsal room who will uh, sort of generate the day's notes, tell us what's going on uh, and take all of those blocking notes and stuff like that. In here then the company stage manager does everything outside of that. Okay. So organises all the costume fittings and talks to the building about what's happening in the rehearsal room and makes sure that the rehearsal room gets what, uh, what they need and is uh, ultimately kind of in charge of the stage management end of the show and we're we're very lucky in here that we have that, you know, because as a stage director, uh, when I was doing the freelance stuff, you frequently you go weeks on end without lunch breaks. Right. You know, you don't finish until half seven or eight o'clock until the rehearsal notes are gone out. And here we can split that, and it gives us it gives everybody freedom and headspace to concentrate on what they're supposed to be doing. And in the run of the show, actually, particularly because. The, the DSM is only concentrating on calling the show, whereas stage director is concentrating on calling the show and everything else as yeah. well, and trying to uh, keep an eye on, um, you know, the, the the overall standard of the show, I guess, that it's not, that everything is looking as it should. Um, in here, the DSM doesn't have to do that. It can focus, and if there's an emergency, it's the company stage manager who's supposed to deal with it and not, right. the, uh, and not the DSM. So right, I okay. hope that I hope that explains. Absolutely, it. it's a hell of a lot clearer than it's ever been before. <laughs> um, so, look, you've brought it up. We have to mention it. This is the one, arguably, the most talked about show of this year, yeah. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Um, how exciting is it to be on that? I mean, how, in general terms, how early along in the process do you come on board for a show yeah. like this? And then specifically for Alice, what's it been like putting this together? Yeah, well, here in the Abbey, uh, you, our earliest sort of touch with the show would be um, the Model Box presentation, which is usually about uh, three months in advance okay. of uh, the show going into rehearsals. And then you don't really do that much with it until the week before rehearsal when you start um, a prep so I have I so I hadn't been involved in any of the stuff beforehand but uh, it's been like it's full on you know I mean there are there's 15 actors who are all deadly and we have a really large creative team uh, you know uh, Sinead McKenna's doing lights uh, Carl Kennedy's doing sound design and then uh, Ivan McKenna and David Hayes are doing musical supervision and musical direction and Jack Phelan is doing uh, the AV design and Naomi Wilkinson is doing the set and costumes so there were like 30 people at our first production meeting. Wow. It's really big. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and at the moment uh, the rehearsal room here in the Abbey is empty because we've moved down to the exchange so we're using this rehearsal room for dance calls and for a costume fitting this morning which I won't say too much about. Um, so the whole thing now is, is spreading across the city. It's, wow. it's very exciting. It's very exciting, I have to say. And, I mean, how much have you seen of what's going on in the room? Anything at all? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've seen a good bit of it, yeah. Yeah. And without giving anything away, yeah, I do want to keep, I I don't I don't want to keep to the secret. <laughs> uh, how, ex- how excited are you about the whole thing? Well, uh, I, when I, I saw... I, good chunk of it the other day and it was it was really exciting you know it's it's 
it's just fantastic to see 15 people up singing and dancing and just, I mean, it is, it's, it's going to be great. Were there a whole raft of new challenges for you guys here because it's been so long since you've produced a musical? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that there were, and they're mostly um, sound related. <laughs> Strangely enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we'd have to have uh, Terry Heron is doing the mixing desk. We have a mic dresser. We don't usually have to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then I guess working with the musical director, which we don't usually have to do because it's not musical. Um, yeah, it's just it's more people. I guess that's that's the challenge and, and how that how that fits in. Wow. Yeah, but it, it's super exciting. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be an amazing show. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you said to begin with in the early days, you went to see an awful lot of theatre. Yeah. Now, given that it is pretty much your life, do yeah. you get to see much anymore? Do you no. go out and see? No, not I as much as you'd like to. I don't, not as much as I'd like to, no. Um, I don't. I, and some of the reason was because uh, now when I go to see stuff, I go, I know her or I know him or I don't like that prop. That doesn't look right. right. So it's kind of the magic is kind of gone for okay. me now, which is which is it's awful, you know. Um, but I also don't have time, and I find that when I do have the time, because I spend most of my time in a dark space, it's the last place <laughs> I want to go. You know what I mean? A little bit of fresh air. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just Teddy Pub, you know. You yeah. Know what I mean? um, but I do miss it. I mean, I remember the last play that, that was magical for me was um, Six Characters in Search of an Author, actually. That, I, that blew my mind. I thought it was amazing. And I was just starting off then. And that, you know, I've seen really great plays. But that, that was the last time that I went, oh, this is totally magical and amazing. It's like, the magic's gone right. Right, for me. And is that just because, like the Wizard of Oz, you've seen the man behind yeah, the curtain, because totally. you know how the trick is done now, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's, to that's totally why. Because it's interesting, my dad can't listen to music, I think, and appreciate it for what it is, because he comes from such a musical background. Yeah. And so when, when you go and see stuff now, do you only see, oh, well, that's how that's being done. I wonder how they do that. That God, that's a tight costume change. They must have a nightmare backstage organising that. Yeah. Is it that you just see all those nuts and bolts I rather do, than yeah, let them wash I over? I do, but, you know, probably I should make more of an effort to go out and see stuff. <laughs> and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't feel like that. But, yeah, I do. But that's a lot of the reason is uh, I just, I spend enough time in theatres. And you see a huge amount of a cross-section yeah. of Irish theatre talent in here, from yeah. the actors coming in to the writers they've been producing here to all the different design teams and stuff coming in. Yeah. Overall, what's your take on the state of Irish theatre at the moment? Do you think we're as good as we ever were? Do you think it was yeah. more exciting in that time in the late 90s? There was more interesting voices around? Yeah. What do you think? I think that there's probably a, a mid-90s type resurgence happening now, actually. Uh, you know, you can see it. On, and what's great about uh, working in here is, you know... Um, uh, Nairi uh, Jürgen Harsian who was in the Government Inspector and Claire Barrett you know we have uh, these people are coming in here as well all the time as as well as being able to do their own stuff um, and yeah. it seems it seems to me though I'm not outside that it's that it's fantastically vibrant outside and that these in 10 years time all of these people are, will be the people who are who are in here playing for Ireland yes indeed yeah. pulling on the green jersey yeah well then as kind of as a final note talking about pulling on the green jersey what i love about talking to people at the abbey 
is that a bit like talking about the yeah. Irish soccer team, everyone everyone is an Eamon Dunphy. Everyone knows, no, no, they shouldn't be programming that. They should be having a, a full season of Brian Freel, or they should yeah. be doing this, or it should be all new writing, or it should be all experimental, or, or, or they should go back to the classics and only do a Casey, or whatever. Everyone has an opinion about this building. What are your magic wands that you would wave over the place? What is your magic bullet to solve all the problems? What would you like to see more of here? What are your thoughts on this place? Um, I, you know, I love the Abbey and I'm, you know, I'm terrifically proud of it. And I do, you know, most days I come in here and I still go, I can't believe I work here. That I am like the luckiest stage manager in Dublin. I really do, you know. Um, I don't know if I'd have, if I'd have a magic wand. Uh, I guess I, I'd love to see more stuff in the Peacock and I think that there is more stuff in the Peacock coming up. Right, um, okay. Uh, throughout this year, I think. Um... And I also love the building. I wouldn't. I wouldn't move the building anywhere. I think it's grand. It needs some refurbishment, maybe, but not like the work that was done in the auditorium in two thousand and eight or whenever it was uh, was fantastic for yeah. everybody, for actors and for the audience. I think um, uh, it could probably do with more money, but it's you know. But who couldn't? And uh, it gets a huge share of the chunk, as it should do. I think actually, yeah. you know, I think it's it's really important that we do have a national theatre and it's not, uh, you know, closed down some kind of touring theatre. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't think, I, you know, I, I love the work I do here. And you think in terms of the current building here mm. on the current footprint that it has everything it needs? It, I'm sure it doesn't. No, I mean, it doesn't <laughs> have everything it needs, no. I mean, it could do with, you know, bigger dressing rooms. It could do with more workspace for, for various departments. Uh, but... I think it's, you know, it's such a historic place. Yeah. I think it would be, it would be such a shame to move it or, and not that I, I don't think that that's happening anymore, but, or to change it at all, actually. But I'm, you know, I'm terrifically attached to the place, even from coming here as, as a child. Yeah. Just, I love it. It's brilliant. I absolutely yeah. love because well because I feel the same way about it again yeah. from having you know grown up around here and I just love hearing people who get the opportunity to work here talk so passionately about yeah. it because as we all know there are a million people outside these walls who would give anything to be in here. So it's yeah. nice to know that the people absolutely. who are here properly appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's great, Tara. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for having oh, a chat to us. I really yeah. appreciate it. I was delighted to get you on board. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yay. <laughs> So there we have it, the brilliant Tara Furlong. I'm such a fan of hers. I think she's a, just brilliant. So nice to be around, so nice to catch up with her. And uh, hopefully, like I said, that gives you a different perspective on the world of Irish theatre and what's going on around uh, at the moment. Just another another little angle in these series of conversations that we have going on that we're going to keep going on for the next foreseeable future. Anyway, so look, that brings us to our weekly roundup of what is going on around the country. And most importantly of all, Rough Magic have improbable frequency at the Gaiety. Now, lads, this show is all kinds of awesome. Uh, written by Arthur Reardon, who I had the great pleasure of working with on Slattery's Sago Saga for Performance Corporation. He's just such a smart writer, such an exceptional way with words, you know. Uh, this is a brilliant night out at the theatre and a great night's entertainment. Look, I don't normally single out shows in this little roundup each week, but if you don't go and see this show, I'm going to hunt you down and give you an atomic wedgie, all right? 
Okay, that's a deal. Um, at the project, we also have the new production of Agamemnon from Classic Stage Ireland, which is part one of the full Aristoia trilogy that they're staging this year, which is a pretty massive undertaking, so fair play to them for that. Uh, you'll get all the deals on that show on projectartscentre.ie. And upstairs at Project, we have the Tiny Place for Ireland kicking off, which I'm hugely excited about. Uh, as I may have mentioned before, my Christmas present to everyone in my family this year was a ticket to see this show. I was trying to put my money where my mouth was. So next week, the extended McAnally posse will be descending on Project for what I'm hoping will be a brilliant night. Uh, of course, that show features podcast alumni Peter Daly and Rory Nolan, who is making his writing debut. I mean, you also have writers like Joe O'Connor and a stunning cast with Don Witcherly and Mary Murray and Kate Brennan. So all the ingredients are there for what should be a cracker of a show. I'm really looking forward to that. At the Viking Theatre at the Sheds, the great Conor McPherson's play, uh, The Weir, is out there this week. Da is con- continuing at the gate and I've only heard super things about that. Bookworms I think is about to finish up this week in the Abbey so if you haven't got in there yet make sure you get in there this is your last chance. Grenades by Tara McKevitt is still at the Bewley's Cafe Theatre and Company D have their production of Oleana from the great David Mamet opening at the Teachers Club and that's an exceptional little two-hander from one of the great American writers at the absolute top of his game. If you get a chance to go and catch that, that that is writing as good as it gets. Um, as we move around the country uh, to Galway, Second Ages production of the Scottish play is at the Town Hall tonight, uh, where it'll finish up and then is off on the road to Cork uh, and then to Waterford and then coming back up to Dublin to play the Civic in Tala. So keep an eye out for that as it's on the road. Um, up in Belfast at the Lyric Big Telly have Melmoth the Wanderer. And as we travel south to Cork, Garson Lazar players have that Beckett mini festival at the Opera House. Uh, so lots of Beckett there to choose from. And Aidan Dooley's great solo show. Tom Crean is back at the Everyman which is just a a masterclass in solo performance Um, and then at uh, the Theatre Royal in Waterford it's Sheila Stevenson's play The Memory of Water featuring the wonderful Charlie Bonner so really a great week for Irish Theatre there's loads of great stuff on throughout the country well worth checking out if you get a chance go and buy yourself some tickets I don't know how many times I'm going to I'm starting to sound like Bob Geldof but go and buy some tickets keep the whole machine ticking over so look guys that is episode 19 in the books we will be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Ingus Og McAnally, I'm Ingus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. 